0: What I've learned is that the landscape has changed. So this is kind of like Uber Eats or whatnot, Grubhub, you know, you can tell them they'll go get your food. But here's the the tag, everything great about eating combined with everything great about not talking to people. (laughs) And so I don't know what it is in our culture that's so great about not talking to people, but everything is kind of moving to where we have less and less interpersonal interaction. And we're becoming more and more isolated and also when, when we used to be down here on our summer projects and go out on the beach and talk to people about our faith, there would be like these women or men that I would talk to, and maybe they didn't want to listen to me, but at the end they would say, sweetie, honey, anyone call you hun yet? At like yeah. Honey, I, I don't need this right now, but I'm so proud of you. This is a real southern accent, not like accent. You've been doing so well to come out here and share your faith. Like, you are such a good young man. You're outstanding. This is what we want for our kids, is to come out here and talk like this. And so they were excited that we were here. They, they, people would meet us on the beach, and they might not want to believe or listen to what you have to say, but they would think you're doing the right thing. You're being a good Young man or good young woman to go to evangelism. Now, over the last four or five years, when I've gone out onto the beach, they don't really have that response. They're a little bit more agitated, a little more aggravated. I've gotten to some shouting matches with a few people. Not proud of one of them, um, but uh, but he was coming after me, you know, because how dare you interrupt my vacation? How dare you come and talk to me about what you think? This isn't this great? Doesn't this get you excited? Like, this is just a kind of encouragement that you all need. Um, but it's changed, and evangelism has changed. So it really has made me step back and rethink how we do ministry training here at the Summer Project and what our goals are and what our uh, our, our practical workshops and things are. Because you know Christians are stereotyped as unloving, or hypocritical, or judgmental, or you're clearly part of the alt right, or something like that. And that's what it means to be a Christian. Um, And and it also used to be that when you talk to people about their faith, they believed in God or they had a sense of spirituality. They adhered to right and wrong. And what you had to do with evangelism is, is they had these dots and you kind of had to connect the dots. But now on the college campus, now in my neighborhood, now with the families that my daughters go to school with, now on the beaches of South Carolina, people don't have those dots. They don't believe those things. It's just a different... Day and age to do evangelism. So, um, I don't know if you guys know this. Uh, Two things, real quick. First is this is an interesting slot for training because you've had a slow morning, you had a nice lunch, now you're in this room. The lights are a little bit dim, and you can easily get sleepy. And I know that that maybe has something to do with me. I don't want to think too highly of myself. Maybe that doesn't have something to do with me. If you start to get sleepy, if you see your neighbor getting sleepy then raise your hand and I'll call on them to pray, and then we'll see how much they sleep again. Um, and, uh, and so do whatever it takes to try to stay awake. Go get water, slap yourself. I, I, have, I have some exercises in here, so hopefully it won't just be me talking the whole time. Um, but uh, the second thing is, it, it used to be that every Wednesday we would have training, and then we would go out onto the beach. And we're not going to do that every week. So for some of you, it might be like, oh, that was one of my favorite parts. And for others of you, you're like, the the $1,900 I just raised is so much more worth it now. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And it's mainly because uh, ministry training, in a lot of ways, used to be built around trying to equip you to go out onto the beach and share your faith in an effective way. I don't really want to do that. I I, I don't want to say it this starkly, but I don't really care about that very much. I want to equip you to share your faith at Walmart. I want to equip you to share your faith with your classmates. I want to equip you to share your faith with the people in your dorms. It's like, let us evangelism. Now, we will (laughs) go out onto the beach and we will share our faith because I think there are some good things that you learn in that. You learn that you can be rejected, you can be criticized, and you'll be all right. Like you'll come back to our project and you'll be loved and you'll be accepted. It's not gonna, you're not going to die sharing your faith. You have to overcome some fear and some intrepidation and walking up to a stranger to talk to them. And I think that it's good for you to have that experience a few times. So we're going we're to give you that experience. And for some of you, maybe the one of you who is really excited about that aspect of project, you can stay excited. Um, but I really want to help you minister in a broader way and hopefully in a lifelong way. And so I've really tried to think about it. Um, so just some interesting statistics. Like these are shocking to me. Um, in this recent survey, 47% of evangelicals, which which I don't know what they mean by that term, but let's just assume it's people like us, agree that it is wrong to share one's personal beliefs with someone of a different faith in hopes that they will one day share the same faith. Like. Dude, I have this nice little laser pointer. Can I see that? Do they know what that word means? Like, what is that word? What does it even mean? It means that you're gonna talk to people about your faith. So they're kinda like 47% of people don't really believe that they are what they claim to be encircled in the previous box, um, which is interesting that they don't think we should do that. Maybe you don't think we should do that. Maybe you think that the whole concept of talking with someone else is a bad idea. You know, there was that guy who went to some island off of the coast of India and was killed. It was, it was in the last year, and there were so many people on, on the news and the media that would say he got what he deserved. Like, he shouldn't be doing that. Like, Christians, people like that, that is the problem with the world today. And I don't believe that's true. Um, the next stat is that 94% of these evangelicals say that the best thing that can happen for someone is for them to know Jesus. So I would imagine that you're here because you would fall into 94% who would say the best thing that could happen to someone is that they would know Jesus and who he is. So why is it that they think you shouldn't talk to people about the best thing that can happen in their life? It makes me, here's my, here's my you, this is the mind blowing part of the slide. Hmm. hmm. Why is that? I, I, what I want to believe is that, um, that it's not about sharing your faith. It's about how you do it. I think they probably think in the 47% that we should not go out onto the beach and share our faith with people. That that is not a good way to do it. But there's other ways to help people understand what the gospel is and how they learn that. Now again, I don't agree that we shouldn't go out there. We're going to go out there. I think there are good things to learn from it. But... I'm not trying to raise up a room full of incredibly gifted beach evangelists. I want you to be able to engage with the people that you're going to be around, that you're going to do life with for the rest of your life when it comes to doing ministry. Um, I I like the movie Gladiator. It's kind of an older movie. I tried to quote it with someone the other day, and it just went right over their head. But there's this quote that he says that what we do in life echoes in eternity. And that's true with a lot of things. But it's also not true with things. But it is true with what we're doing here. That's why I'm so excited to do this. It's because when you talk to someone who doesn't believe in Jesus about the gospel, it's it's a time when your actions, your life, is like on the edge of eternity. It has eternal implications, eternal ramifications. And I think that's really powerful. I want that to be happening for us. Um, In 1 Peter, it talks a lot about the kind of witness that you would have. I don't think I have this verse on the slide, but 1 Peter 3.15 it's one of the memory verses. In your hearts, honor Christ the Lord is holy. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that you have. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. So my hope is that we would be men and women who engage with others with gentleness and respect. But who are always ready to talk about the hope that we have. Always ready to defend it. Always ready to speak about it. Always ready to celebrate it. And so maybe, maybe we'll get there. Um, I'll get to bicycles in a second. So my hope is, is maybe three or fourfold. First, just like Zach said the other night, there are some of you here that are investigating Christianity that aren't sure exactly what you believe. And so the thought of trying to get you to go talk to people about something that you're not personally convinced of is challenging. So I'm not trying to do that for you. I hope that as we talk about the good news of who Jesus is that it's evangelism for you. That maybe you hear this and it clicks in a way and you come to faith. Maybe if you have questions, I would love to talk to you about your questions. And I hope I, would, I can uh, guarantee you that it would be done with gentleness and respect. So I don't think that's a lot of you but it's some of you and I'd love to talk to you. There's others like Zach said who maybe think you're a Christian but you're not. And maybe there's a way that we'll talk about the gospel or talk about evangelism that will be powerful in the way that it affects your heart. And that would be a beautiful thing. But for the rest of you, I hope something clicks in you. I hope that something uh, breaks, that that the, the waters are unleashed in your life to want to minister to people for as long as you live. That's what happened to me on my first summer project. That's what happened to me in college. You have an opportunity in your life right now as a college student, unlike any other, for the rest of your life to be around a bunch of people your age who have m- virtually the same schedule, who pretty much live together in this you know small acreage that is your campus, except for maybe the U of M is a little bit more spread out, so you try to shrink it down. Um, who have a lot more time on their hands where the stakes aren't as high. When you're not, most of you aren't married, and most people don't get married in college, and you don't have children, and so you've got all this opportunity right now to be able to celebrate and hold out all that Jesus is. And so I want you to be able to do it. And for me, um, the, the idea of bicycles is helpful. Uh, so this is me when I was, I don't know, two. I, I, I hope I was not older than that because I'm really holding on to that pacifier. Um, and uh, and that was my first set of wheels. And uh, I don't know how interested I was in it. I don't know why I have that blank face, um, but uh, there was a day and age in my life, how many of you can ride a bicycle? All of you? Any, anyone struggle with riding a bicycle? There, were some old ones on project that I threw away and we could have had a training session. There was a time in all of our lives when we were unenchanted with bicycles. We didn't know what a bicycle was. We didn't care about a bicycle, it's not a big deal. But then there's this, this season where we become enchanted. This is me at the ripe old age of six, about to open up my first bicycle. Um, and uh, the, the, the sad thing is I didn't want a bicycle, so I opened that up and it was a bicycle and I looked at my, I was really sarcastic as a six-year-old. just so looked at my mom and I said, just what I didn't want, a bicycle. Um, and so I didn't touch that thing for about a year. So I was very unenchanted by bicycles. But then, I mean, do you guys remember when you learned how to ride a bicycle? Like, I remember it, I remember getting on that one. I didn't even use training wheels. I was like, just at seven, after a year, I was like, just give it to me. And I just went down through our yard and learned to ride that bicycle. And then for the next like 10 years of my life, every day revolved around, when can I ride a bicycle? Every rainstorm was, when does the lightning stop so I can go ride in the puddles? and just we had like these gullies and I would just go jump off of people's driveways into these gullies and it was always amazing when you land in it and the bike gets totally submerged and you can't, that's flattering. Um, but you guys remember that when, when you had that experience with bicycle? Yeah, I mean, I hope so. Then, I didn't really care about bicycles that much because I wanted a car. And it's not really that cool when you're you know, in high school and you're always wanting to ride around on your BMX. We had a bike club in my neighborhood and uh, we called it ourselves the Peach Valley Posse. And, and when you get into high school, it's just not that cool to be a part of the Peach Valley Posse anymore. Um, so I went from being unenchanted as a one, two-year-old, because I'm definitely unenchanted right there, to being enchanted by bicycles. They were fascinating. And then I became very disenchanted with bicycles. I didn't really care about them. I became enchanted at that point with a 1982 Toyota Corolla. Um, but, oh yeah, I forgot to show this picture. Whenever I was enchanted, it was kind of like this. Like, how to be awesome was riding a bike. Um, but then, like two years ago, I bought a new bicycle. And it's, uh, I got it from REI. It's, uh, it's a Diamondback, it's a mountain bike. I got my wife one from REI. And one of my favorite things to do in Minneapolis is to go ride around the city, like on the bike paths. Like, it's incredible. and. There's this re-enchantment that I experience now with riding a bike. It's just more simple, it's more enjoyable, right? That's what we all experience. I hope that relates to all of you. I felt the same way with evangelism. There was a time when, when I was unenchanted, and maybe that's most of you, like the thought of evangelism, I don't know that I really wanna do that, I don't know what I think about it, I don't know if we should do it, but then you move to enchanted, and you share your faith, or you, you talk to someone. If you ever talk to someone who's not a Christian, and they become a Christian, get ready for enchantment. Like you will love it. That's what happened my freshman year in college. My sweet mate became a Christian. And my life was changed by seeing what happened in his life. But then as I got into ministry and into the church, I was kind of pulled away from evangelism and I became a little bit disenchanted. And maybe some of our older staff in here feel that way. Like you haven't really shared your faith that much recently and it's harder. That's where I've been. But where I've been coming back is being re-enchanted with the thought of talking to people about their faith. So my goal is I want to enchant you with the thought of evangelism. I want to enchant you with the thought of ministry. You're not going to be satisfied as an engineer or as a doctor or as a teacher or fill in the blank with whatever else your major might be. It is not going to fill you up. But if, as a nurse you're able to engage with people about eternal things. If, as a doctor, you're able to talk about that. If, as a teacher, you're able to engage with a student in your class in a way that is slightly covert because you can't be overt with your faith or whatever other fields you're in. Uh, there was a guy that I discipled and he started working for Target Corporate and he started having a Bible study every morning before work, downtown Minneapolis, with five other guys from Target. And it, he, he wasn't excited about going to work for Target. He was excited about that Bible study because it was like, you know, he was the toilet paper guy. I called him the TP man because he was the guy in charge of making sure that Target had certain brands of toilet paper. That was not a very enchanting job for him. But to be able to go and talk to people about his faith, that was bordering eternity, And he was excited about it. And that's what I want for you. Um, so I'm hoping that will happen. I want to jump into Mark and talk about that. But first, let me pray. Because wanting those things to happen, I can't do it. I can't craft a talk. I can't design a project. I can't give an illustration that's going to do that in your life. But God can. Maybe through me, maybe through just your summer. I don't know how, but I want to ask Him that He'll do it. Um, Lord, there are men and women in here. And, and some of them aren't, aren't enchanted by the gospel, aren't enchanted by you. And I want them to believe. I want it to be the best news in the world. Um, And a lot of them, God, maybe are not enchanted with the thought of ministry or evangelism. Maybe they really want to be enchanted. Maybe they really want to be helped. And God, would you help them? Would something break? Would something change? The thought that a room this size could go back to Northwestern and Bethel, St. Cloud, the U of M, St. Thomas, maybe another school that one or two people are from, and be passionate about talking about their faith about telling their story, about explaining to other people the good news of what Jesus has done is thrilling for me. It's what I want more than anything. So would you do that? Would you be pleased to change hearts or at least raise the temperature in each person's life just a few degrees that they would want to do this, that they would want to be a part of the greatest news in the world and, and telling that story. And so I can't do it, but you can. And so please, God, Work that way. We ask in Jesus' name, Amen. Um, I, I've loved seeing Jesus interact with people, and so my desire is that every single one of these we would at least look a little bit at Jesus and his interaction with people and what he says, because he was the best, right? Like he was the best evangelist. He was the best relating with people. That's what comes when you're part God, when you're fully God and fully man. Um, you, you get you get good interactions. So this is in Mark, Mark eight, and uh, calling to the crowd to him with his disciples. He said to them, let me just stop there. Uh, Try to imagine this. I think this scene would be kind of like all of us going out onto the beach and having this talk from here on out on the beach with a bunch of people because it's like our project and then the crowd, and we're talking about it. And when I think about that, that is a little bit strange for me. But I think that's what this was like. And he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. With the Holy Ghost. Um, so here's what I want to point out. First, he says, oh, yeah, I can give him a little clicker thing. He says, um, where is it? Whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's. So Emma talked about it a little bit, Zach mentioned it a little bit, but here's what I want you to do. Um, initially, my question was well, what is the gospel? And we've talked about that. So here's your exercise time so that I'm not talking and you're doing something. I want you to take a few minutes and try to write down what you think the gospel is. I'm not going to call on people after this. Try to make this like your best attempt. Like give it your best shot. But here's the, here's the clicker. One sentence. That's all you have. What is the gospel in one sentence? All right? Go. I'll give you... It's 157. i I'll give you three minutes. Three minutes. What is the gospel in one sentence? All right. Whew. We're back. Three long minutes. Um, look at your sentence. Read your sentence. Isn't it just, it's, maybe you don't feel this way, but it is. It's woefully inadequate. Like, there's so much to unpack. And what the gospel is, Um, and we're going there. Like in three weeks, I want to talk about all the different ways that we can talk about the gospel. And I say it's inadequate because I look at mine and I don't. I don't like it. This is this is I think maybe would be Paul's or a close attempt by the apostle Paul. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. So that that could be a good verse that can get you there. My. My sentence was Jesus saves sinners. Um, because it, it's that's what it is, right? It's it's Jesus came to the world to save sinners. And I don't know, I don't know what yours was. Um, but I want you to think about it because as the summer progresses, we want to pull or, or unfold all the different layers of talking about it. There's an article that I have in your little notebook called the Gospel in all its forms. And we're, we're, it's in a couple of weeks. We're just going to talk about different ways that you could present it. But every presentation, it just doesn't do it justice. And so I think it's, it's good to know that from the beginning. So just in, in, in simple, what does gospel mean? Like, what does that word mean? Well, in your Bible, it's translated in the New Testament from Greek. And the word in Greek is evangelion. And that Greek word means good news. So when Jesus says, anyone who's ashamed of me or my gospel, it's me and my, and my Evangelion, me and, my, and the good news. And this is what I think he's getting at. The gospel is the good news that the Son of God broke into human history and was born as a human being, lived the life we should have lived, died the death we should have died. And now he has risen and gives us all the benefits of his work for us. Now, I, that's a long sentence. You know, maybe that's more like your sentence, and I tried not to use commas in that one. Um, but it's news, not advice. And that is a good distinction to make. Because a lot of times I think we treat the gospel or Christianity, the core message, like it is advice that we give to other people. That you should... Do something. You should, you have to do this. But news is just what it is. It's just proclaimed, it's just a statement. Um, different from military strategy. This is a quote by a guy named Martin Lloyd Jones. He says Every other religion sends military advisors to people. Every other religion says that if you want to achieve salvation, you'll have to fight for your life. You've got to do something. Eightfold Path, Five Pillars of Islam. Live a certain way, achieve nirvana, like every other religion in the world is good advice. It's, it's advice on what you have to do. It's sending advice saying, here are the rites and rituals, here's the transformation of consciousness and laws and regulation. We send heralds. We send messengers, not military advisors. Because it's news. You're just telling people news of what Jesus has done. Maybe that'd be another, like you could, little short statements. We send messengers, not military advisors. Or, we wanna tell people what has been done, not what they do. The gospel is not due. The gospel is done. It is finished. It's news. It's what Jesus has accomplished. And that is, is one good way to really think about what the gospel is Is good news. Um, in English, why did we translate Evangelion from the Greek into the word gospel whenever William Tyndall translated the, the Bible into English? It's because if you look it up in in you know on Google, it used to be look it up in Webster's, look up in the dictionary, look at the encyclopedia now. If you Wikipedia it, um, <laughs> because gospel means God's spell. Uh, I love enchanting things, right? Like God's spell. They use spell because spell in old English was story. It wasn't like a magic spell, but it was God's story. And so it's both good news and it is the most amazing story in the world. I love uh books, I love movies. My my daughters really love movies. Um they will do anything to be in front of a screen. Um, and so whenever there's a movie that comes out that is a good movie to go see, I like to go take them because I love to, to have them answer this question. As soon as we come out of the movie, they know the question that's coming. The question is, what was that movie trying to say? And I love it when, when Sophie was six and we went and saw Frozen. It's like, what's that trying to say, Sophie? And she's like, sacrificial love, <laughs> sacrificial love. That's kind of the answer. If the the, uh, Sunday school answer is Jesus, they know for me like the movie answer or the what's the main point of this is sacrificial love. Um, But I, I love how stories point to it in every good story. If you like the story and there's something powerful about it, it's because it's borrowing. It is borrowed capital from the only story that is true and beautiful and magical and incredible and real. Historic and it's enchanting. There's a book. Uh, maybe some of you have read it. It's the Jesus Storybook Bible. If you've ever babysat for a family that, at our church or on our staff team, they usually have it. Do, do you, have, Simmons? You guys have Jesus Storybook Bible? Gillette. I mean, Eden, Eden. Eden can't read this. She know what's going on. But it's like we got to get that Jesus Storybook Bible. Um, and I just want to read this. I have to get over here because it's kind of small. And for some reason, it did this weird thing with the font. But I just, I love, this is an introduction to it. So I would say close your eyes and let this capture your imagination. But I'm afraid if you do that, it might feel so good to just have your eyes closed that you're not going to open them. And that's scary for me. But I want that because I want your imagination to be stirred. We get so familiar with Bible stories. Have you ever thought, if you became a Christian when you were younger or you grew up in the church, have you ever wished that you didn't, that you became a Christian when you were like 28, maybe you're not 20 right now, so that's hard to imagine. Um, <laughs> in two years, I really want to become a Christian. <laughs> it's not the goal. Um, but because I really wish that when I could really understand the Bible, it was fresh, like it was new, like I'd never experienced it. And, and this gets me there a little bit because of how she talks about it. So if you believe that you have the, the self-control and willpower to open your eyes, close them. The Bible is not a book of rules or a book of heroes. The Bible is most of all a story. It's an adventure story about a young hero who comes from a far country to win back his lost treasure. It's a love story about a brave prince who leaves his palace, his throne, everything, to rescue the ones he loves. It's like the most wonderful fairy tale of all that's come true in real life. You see. The best thing about this story is, it's true. There are lots of stories in the Bible, but all the stories are telling one big story. The story of how God loves his children and comes to rescue them. It takes the whole Bible to tell the story, and at the center of the story, there's a baby. Every story in the Bible whispers. He's like the missing piece in a puzzle. The piece that makes all the other pieces fit together. And suddenly, you can see a beautiful picture. And this is no ordinary baby. This is the child upon whom everything would depend. This is the child who would one day. But wait, our story starts where all good stories start, right at the very beginning. Like that, that just makes me want to keep reading the book, you know? But the, it's, it, it moves me. It moves my imagination. To think of the gospel like that, like that kind of story. That, that's something that I want to tell people. That's something that I, I want to experience that, that way every time I think about it. When I hear the word gospel, I want that to come into my mind, the story, the enchantment, the reality of it, the trueness of it, because it's, it's incredible. And so what's it going to take? for may, Maybe you're in here and you really need to, to acquaint yourself with the true news of what the gospel is. But maybe you're in here and you need to be captured by the story. Your imagination needs to be stirred. There is so much in our world that is after your imagination. It's hard taking my girls to, to movies because a lot of times movies have good messages and they have bad messages. But regardless of whatever message they, they communicate, Pixar does it beautifully. It, it captures your imagination. It moves your heart. It is a, they make beautiful stories. and. We've got to to be captured by this. We've got to do our best to get our imaginations captured by Jesus and who he is. And that's hard to do. Um, This is a beautiful uh, imagination verse in 1 Peter. This is a little little foretaste. Foretaste of maybe two days from now. This is talking about the prophets. It was revealed to the prophets that they were not serving themselves in what they were writing, but you. And the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news. So here's a little, little tip. What is the good news? What's he probably talking about there? He's probably talking about the gospel. This good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. And what about this good news? What about these things? Things into which angels long to look. Angels long to be in your shoes. Just stop like, can you imagine that? They long to know what you know. They long to experience the redemption that you've been offering. They long to be a part of this story. That, that is crazy. But it's crazy for one, because it's hard for me to even think about angels, much less that angels are envious that they long to look into this beautiful story of the gospel. <laughs> it's incredible. Um, so that's the gospel. Second point, I only have two points. What is evangelism? I should have told you there, you have a notes page. I, I kind of like it if you just listen and didn't take notes because maybe that would capture your imagination. Um, but we'll get through it. So what is evangelism? Um, I should have put the other, oh, I did. So back in the Mark passage, I don't know if you picked up on it, but what Jesus says is, whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man Be ashamed. I think the adulterous and sinful generation is talking about the present world that the disciples were in. So I think the way that that would apply to us is now, our cultural setting. So maybe a way to say it would be whoever is ashamed of Jesus and of his words, the good news, the gospel, today, that he will be ashamed. Have you ever felt ashamed of? being a Christian have you ever felt ashamed of the gospel ever well maybe this is what ashamed means I think I have it ashamed means embarrassed or guilty because of one's actions characteristics or associations I mean I feel that when when I'm at recess sometimes I volunteer for recess at my girls school um, and and I'm out there you know and there's like another parent and we're just watching these kindergartners throw sand at each other and and they'll say, so, what do you do? And there's the moment. There's the moment for me. How do I answer that question? Because part of them will say, oh, I mean, I just work with college students. <laughs> and they think, oh, you're a professor. <laughs> but the reality is, I am a college minister. I'm a pastor. And sometimes I've told them that, and they're like, oh, this kid has sand in their hair, and they're gone. Like, they don't want to hear it. And so I feel ashamed. I feel embarrassed or guilty about my association. Um, and, and I hate that. And I have to repent of that. And you do too. When it comes to being on the plane, and there's someone beside you, when you're in the classroom, when you've been at church and someone says, what did you do yesterday? And you talk about the homework that you did. You don't talk about going to church because you don't even know that you went to church because you're a little bit ashamed or embarrassed about being associated, about being a Christian. But the opposite of being ashamed is being proud. So maybe the, the, the way to flip the verse would be to say whoever is proud of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him will the son of man also be proud because proud is deep pleasure or satisfaction as a result of one's own achievements or qualities or possessions or I like this better for us of, the, of those of someone with whom one is closely associated. Like that you're proud to be a Christian. You're proud to be associated with Jesus. You're proud to be a part of the story. You celebrate that because what do you do when you're proud of something? You talk about it. Like um, I told some guys down here about this little sandwich place named? Couches. Yes. And whenever, you know you know that feeling, when you tell someone they should try something, they should eat some food, they should go to a movie, they should read a book you kinda of get a little nervous, right? Because, because what if they don't like it and you love it? It's gonna ruin your joy. But later that day, when Derek, Franzi, and PJ came back and said, dude, that sandwich place, it was a 10. It's like, yes. Like I can I can leave the project now satisfied. <laughs> because whenever you're proud of something, you you talk about it and you want other people to know about it. Like what's something that you've been proud of? That like, what's a, a restaurant, like think about it. A restaurant that you went to and you got something. I went to this place called Tracy's on Franklin in Minneapolis on Tuesday nights. They have 69 cent wings. Might be the best wings I've ever had in my life. And I can't wait for people to go there. Like I've been telling people about Tracy's because it was great. Um, when you see a good movie, when people see Endgame, you know, we talked about it earlier today at the leader's time. You see a movie that you like, you want people to go to it. You want to talk about it. Um, I, you know, I was walking in to the project behind Zach, um, and he's got this backpack. You have the backpack. Can you hold the backpack up for everyone? Hold it up high, and then stand up. Like, do a little twirl. Do a little twirl. Oh, you're a you're a model, right? <laughs> there we go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Man, when Zach. Hey, how many people were around when Zach got that backpack? How many people did? How, what? How was he with that backpack? What did he say? Can I get some testimonies? How was that? How, how do you talk about it? That's all we talked about, first <laughs> Yes. Yeah. And and I, I was like, man, that's that backpack. You've had that backpack for a while. You man, you were so proud of it. And he said, it's you, gonna last for a lifetime. All right. I, like, I oh, said, yeah, I God, said, God, man, you are. So, you are so proud of that yeah. backpack. And without even taking a second goes, like, oh, well, I still am. <laughs> because when you're proud of something, you celebrate it. Like I, I know. He may not. He may not agree with this, but. I just wonder how many times Taylor is going to share that video of him as the cowboy with the belt buckle. Like, there is all kinds of pride attached to that. I know it. I can see it. Even right now. He's so, if he had known that I was going to use him as an example of pride, he, he would have been so excited, you know, for, for this moment. Because that's what happens. So just think about something. That, that you've shared recently, that you're proud of. Like you are happy, it is, you'd have deep pleasure and satisfaction to be associated with Groucho's, with that video, with that backpack, with that movie, with that story, whatever it is. Um, and so, I, I, Max Styles, is, is actually this really great speaker who's going to be the front end speaker of our New Year's conference in December. You know, shameless plug. Uh, and he has, he has a definition of evangelism, and I changed it because I, uh, I like mine for a certain reason. Uh, his definition is teaching the gospel with the aim to persuade. But I changed it to celebrating the gospel with the aim to persuade. Because yes, you should teach the good news and, let, and help people know what the gospel is. But I think if you can be proud, if you can <coughs> celebrate it, if you can rejoice that you are a part of the story, that God has entered into your life, that you're not ashamed of it, that that you'll get to the place where you can teach them more about it. But it's hard to teach people about something that you might feel ashamed of, you might not want to be associated with. So I want us in this time and for this summer to grow in celebrating the gospel with the aim to persuade. Because if I talk about Tracy's wings or I talk about Groucho's or Zach talks about his backpack, what are we wanting you to do? We're wanting you to go eat the wings. We're wanting you to go try the sandwich. We're wanting you to go spend money and buy a backpack like this. I don't know that anyone can ever replicate what, what you did. But, but we could try, you know, maybe. But you want people, you want to persuade them. So it's not just saying it. But we've got to say it in a way that is winsome. Remember, uh, always be ready to give a reason for the hope that you have with gentleness and respect. Um, We're we're wanting to gently and and respectfully reason with people, defend the beauty of this story to the world around us. Um, But why are we ashamed? I think I need to go faster. Um, Romans 1, uh, the Apostle Paul, he's talking to Rome, to the people in Rome. And I'll just start in verse 14. He says, I'm under obligation to the Greeks and barbarians, both to the wise and the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. I think that means I am proud of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Um, I, I look at that and I think, okay, he's not ashamed. How, how's he doing that? You know, because Jesus says, don't be ashamed. And Paul says, I'm not ashamed. He's not ashamed. Um, <clears throat> the word for cues you in. I am not ashamed for, because the gospel is the power of God for salvation. The gospel is like the magic word. He, he is so confident in the good news, in God working through it, that he's going to talk about it. It's like uh, expecto patronum, you know, like it, it, it is the, the spell. It is the word that has power that can change people. And so he's proud to say it. He's proud to share it. And so why am I ashamed? Why are we ashamed? And I think it's because I don't believe that the gospel is powerful enough. I believe I've got to have the right uh, intro, the right question. I've got to know all the answers. I've got to do this in a cool way, kind kind of relevant way with people because it's not about the gospel and its power. It's about me and my ability. And of course I'm going to be ashamed of that because I know who I am. I know I don't have what it takes. Why don't I believe this? Why don't I believe how powerful the gospel is? Why don't you believe that? Because I believe if, if we believed that the gospel is powerful, that that will save people, then we wouldn't be ashamed of the gospel. And what happens when you're not ashamed of the gospel? Work your way back. You'll be eager to preach it to other people. You'll be eager to celebrate it. Um, but, but we struggle. We struggle to believe it. We doubt its power. We think that people's doubts, people's upbringing, people's questions, our cultural climate, that those things are more powerful than the gospel. And we need to repent of that. I need to repent of that. And my lack of faith in God's ability to change lives. Um, so last Last piece of good news in this, because I start to feel bad at this point for myself and for you. It's like, yes, I'm ashamed of this. I don't believe that the gospel is powerful enough. Where do I go? Hebrews 2.11, because here's the word again. For he who sanctifies, Jesus, and those who are sanctified, believers, all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. He's not ashamed of you. He loves you. You're part of his story. Don't be ashamed of him. Don't be ashamed of his words. Don't be ashamed of his message. Don't be ashamed of the power that the gospel has. Talk about it. Like, You've got these people at Walmart, and they're they're asking you. They've already asked you, so what are you down here for? Okay, how are you going to talk about it? What are you going to say at that point? Where do you go? What do you do? You meet people... Out on the beach or at the grocery store or they hear your Minnesotan accent and they're like, you're not from around here. What what are you doing here? Don't just say, I'm just down here for the summer just visiting. You know, you've got the chance to talk about and celebrate what God has done in your life.